It's good to be back here once again. The text for our consideration tonight comes from Romans chapter 1, verses 13 to 17. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 939. Romans 1, 13 to 17. And the word of God says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And this is the word of God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We can come here tonight and gather and hear from you, hear from your word. May you be proclaimed here tonight. May your message be known. Open our eyes, ears, hearts, and minds to receive what you have to say. May it not just be a message that we hear, but something that changes us. That we may go out loving you more, loving each other more, and sharing this glorious good news, the power of you unto salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray everything in the saving name of Jesus. Amen. God is holy, he is righteous, and he is good. He created all things good, yet his creation, human beings, has rebelled and sinned against him. The first man, Adam, was told not to take and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or he would surely die. When tempted, the woman took and ate and gave the fruit to Adam, and he took and he ate. This may seem like a small infraction, a minor transgression, not worthy of death, but it's high treason. It's the highest form of rebellion against the highest authority. Why? Let me put it this way. Say a man punches his friend. He may not get into too much trouble because his friend is his equal, equal in rank. Let's say that same man punches a police officer. Now the penalty of the punishment is going to be more. Let's say that same man punches the mayor. Now the infraction is more severe and the penalty is more. Why? It's the same action that he's taking. It's still a punch. But it's because the person that the infraction is against is higher in authority. You can see this even in our court system. If you lie to your friend or you lie to your parents, you may get in trouble. Your friend might not talk to you anymore. You might get punished. But if you lie under the court of law, it is perjury. You may see jail time. The penalty increases when the person or the institution you have sinned against is in the higher authority. 
The taking and eating of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not a small infraction. It was the highest of crimes against the highest authority in the land. God, the sovereign creator and sustainer, who all of us have sinned against, is the highest authority. What should God do with disobedient creatures? Should he destroy them all? As the Bible says, the soul that sins should surely die. God is perfectly just and blameless in ridding this whole earth of sinful, rebellious humans. The penalty of sin is death. You deserve to perish. You deserve to die. You deserve hell. You deserve to be cast out where there's weeping of gnashing teeth. You and I have sinned against the holy and righteous God and the just God who is the highest authority in the land. In our nature, passed down from Adam, we are sinners. And this, folks, is bad news. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us deserve to die. All deserve hell. All deserve to be out of the kingdom of God forever. But is this the future of all mankind? Is death and destruction all that remains for you? No. God, in his grace, does not destroy his rebellious creatures. Instead, God the Father sent God the Son to be destroyed in the place of rebellious creatures. As John writes in his gospel, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This text is saying God loved the world in such a way, in this way, that he gave his only begotten Son, his unique Son. And then we have these two words in Ephesians, but God. Ephesians 2, 4-5, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is good news. This is the gospel. God the Father again gave God the Son, sending him into his creation to live a perfect life, completely obeying the Father, completely obeying every righteous law. He did what Adam failed to do. Then he died on the cross, the death that you deserve. It was an atoning death, a death for all who believe, Jew and Greek, all who believe. Then Jesus rose from the dead, because death cannot hold a righteous man. And now all who believe will rise and have eternal life, because believers are counted righteous, credited with Christ's righteousness. Death has no hold over the righteous. This is because of what God has done in Christ to save sinners. This is good news. This is powerful. This is the gospel. There's nothing Nothing to be ashamed of here. This message of salvation is for all who believe, for Jew, for Greek, for Irish, for Italian, for African, for Asian, every nation, people, group, tribe, and tongue. Every man, woman, and child. This is salvation from our sin. This is salvation from hell. This is salvation from the wrath of God. And this is the gift of eternal life. This is the gift of adoption into the kingdom, into the family of God. If you have not yet believed this gospel, you need to hear this. More than that, you need to believe this. Turn from foolish thinking. Turn from love of self. Turn from love of the world. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Turn from your own acts of piety, thinking you can gain heaven on your own, and trust the finished work of Christ. 
If you already are a believer, you need to hear this. We need to hear the gospel too. This message isn't just to get us into the kingdom. This message is the point of why we are here tonight. We need to be reminded of what God has done in Christ to bring us to himself. A sermon to the saints is incomplete without the gospel being proclaimed. The gospel is not only preached to reach the lost, but to encourage the saints in assurance of salvation, to move us, to motivate us in gratitude to serve God. And you can simply outline the entire letter of Romans in these three words, guilt, grace, gratitude. And that's what Paul begins this letter with. Paul writes about the guilt of sinners exposing both Jew and those who come from a background of the traditions that God has laid out in the Old Testament scriptures. But it's also for the Gentiles and the Greek, again, those who weren't Jews. As a quick summary of the letter of Romans, we have chapters 1 to 7. Paul lays out our guilt because we have all sinned against God. In verses in chapters 8 to 11, he shows us how it is by God's grace that we are saved by the power of the gospel. And in chapters 12 to 16, he explains how we can live a life of gratitude forgiven by God, by grace through faith in Christ. Paul is writing to a church that already has believers. He has been emphasizing the importance of delivering this message to not only those who haven't heard yet, but those who have heard. In this passage before us today, we will unpack the importance Paul puts on the deliverance of the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. As we walk through this text, we will see why it is necessary for the gospel to be preached both to believer and to unbeliever. In short, God reminds us that we all need to hear the gospel. Why? Because the gospel encourage, encourages and edifies believers. The gospel brings sinners into the kingdom of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, no matter what the world says about this message. There's nothing, nothing to be ashamed of. We all need to hear the gospel. Then, believers, we need to share the gospel. We need to go out and tell the good news of Jesus Christ. With all that said, let's begin in our text today. And we will see why we need to hear the gospel and why it is the power of God for salvation. Verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul thus far has been providentially hindered from coming to Rome, although he would eventually get to Rome, but as a prisoner. In the meantime, Paul writes to them, that he would much rather be with them and encourage them in person and preach the gospel to them, all those who have already believed. Why would he need to preach the gospel to those who have already believed? Well, Tom starts out his day as usual. He's a Christian. He wakes up, he gets ready for the day. He has his breakfast, reads his Bible. Things are going great. Life is good. Then on the way to work, there's a traffic jam. He has an important meeting to get to, and he can't be late. He begins to get frustrated as he sits in traffic on the highway. Before he was a Christian, Tom had a temper problem. He didn't like being in traffic, so he's trying to remain calm. But he finds himself cursing and saying bad words, having a tantrum, 
in the car, getting angry. When he gets to work, though, he can't shake this feeling of guilt. He acted like he did before he was a Christian. He feels he hasn't trusted God. This guilt lasts him the rest of the week. Tiffany is a strong Christian mom who homeschools. She was having a great day teaching, and then her 70-year-old son suddenly claims he forgot how to read. He has been reading fine for years, but for some reason today, he decided to pretend he can't. Tiffany gets frustrated and angrily yells at him. As the week goes on, this continues to happen, and her guilt for her anger continues to pile up. Juan is a Christian who came out of a religious background that told him he had to pray holding certain beads, or else he couldn't be a good follower. He now often feels guilt and shame when he doesn't follow the old traditions of men. And finally, Teresa has been a Christian for five years, but sometimes she scrolls through social media apps looking a little too long at things that dishonor God. She feels the guilt and the shame, starts to question if she's even saved. How often are you like Tom, flipping out in traffic? How often are you like Tiffany, getting frustrated at your children? How often are you like Juan, thinking you need to do certain things to be loved by God? How often are you like Teresa, looking at things on the internet or anywhere that don't honor God? These are sinful acts and thoughts, and we should be killing sin. But imagine these Christians going to a church that never proclaimed the gospel. They get many self-help sermons like, here are five ways to be a better mom. Here are five ways not to look at pornography. But the message never includes what has been done for them in Christ. It's just self-help. Self-help messages apart from the gospel just heaps more work onto the listener. Do this and this and this. This will solve your problems. Christians, we need to hear what has been done for us. Not always what we must do, but what has been done. The gospel must be proclaimed from the scriptures on the Lord's day. This is why Paul writes them in Rome this tremendous theological work explaining the gospel. Yes, the church in Rome has believed, but they can easily forget. Christian, you have believed, but you can easily forget. You and I struggle with sin, and we must kill sin, but we can forget the gospel. The reformer Martin Luther has said, we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. You have believed, but you can easily forget. Your days can be long and filled with things to do. You have issues that come up, health concerns, family concerns. You battle illness, you struggle. School may be hard for you, children. You may often feel inadequate, inadequate to handle life. You continue to struggle to kill sin. You say, is there any hope for me? We look to the gospel. We need to hear what has been done. Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose for you. By grace through faith in him, you are forgiven. You have been adopted into the family of God. Let's not forget you were guilty of sin, but your sin has been forgiven. And now you were declared not guilty. You were declared innocent. More than that, you are declared righteous. You have already been forgiven. Now we need to be reminded and urged to repent. Even though we struggle with sin, not to be forgiven, you are already forgiven. But because you have been forgiven. 
This is what motivates us as Christians. We have been forgiven. No amount of work that we do will earn us forgiveness. The work has been done. It's not faith plus works. That's what the false systems will tell you. Roman Catholicism, faith plus works. Mormonism, faith plus works. Christianity, faith alone in Christ alone, in his finished work. This is the message Paul wants to bring to reap a harvest among the church in Rome. He desires to have the Christians grow in faith and to witness that. He wants to be part of discipling them, seeing them become more and more like Christ. This should be the desire of every pastor. This is the desire of your pastors, to see you grow more and more like Christ. And this happens by them faithfully preaching the gospel from the scriptures. And it is a great blessing to be part of this denomination. I've been in a, blessed to be in a few churches in the OPC. And they preach the gospel faithfully from the scriptures. That is how we grow in Christ. Every minister should have a desire of Paul to labor, as he did with the Galatian church, to be in anguish until Christ be formed in you. And the reaping of the harvest does not stop with the minister. All of us have opportunities to share the gospel. In your work, in your home, at school, there's opportunities to share the gospel, not only with unbelievers, but to encourage those who have believed. Paul continues in verse 14, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The apostle writes here he is under obligation. This may be translated that Paul is in debt. Paul believes he owes it to people to bring them the message of salvation. To the Greeks, those who were Greek speakers, to the barbarians, these were foreigners who did not even speak Greek. This is Paul saying he has to go beyond the areas where he has already gone to preach the gospel as far as he can. To the wise, those who have been educated formally. To the foolish, those who aren't educated at all. Paul was called by Jesus on the road to Damascus to be an apostle. Paul has been appointed personally by God. Now Paul is saying that he owes it to everybody to preach the gospel. In his travels, as chronicled in Acts, this is exactly what Paul does. And many people Paul goes to preach the message to rejects the message. Many try to kill him. He was even stoned. You see that in Acts 14. And then he gets up the next day and he goes and he still preaches. Paul was arrested. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. And he still preaches to all. He's under obligation. He owes it to people. He is indebted to them. The Lord saved Paul, and now he's under obligation to be used to seek and save more. Brothers and sisters, do you share this obligation that Paul is under? Are you indebted to the people around you to share this message of salvation? Do you feel the debt? Because Christ has paid your debt, and now you have the words of eternal life. Do you feel burdened to even encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ who are around you with the gospel to remind them you are saved, your sins are forgiven. Be encouraged. You are saved. God loves you. Jesus Christ may have not knocked you off your horse, but he has awakened your, ha- your heart to salvation. Go and tell people you are under obligation. You owe it to others to give them the words of eternal life. 
You are in debt both to believer and to unbeliever. Maybe you feel you don't know how to do this. Many people are afraid to share the gospel. And I think I used this example in here before. You know how to share good news. You see a deal. It's, it's Christmas season. People are shopping right now. You see a deal on an item. You want to share that with somebody. Like, hey, online you can go get this deal. They still have this Black Friday sale going on. You tell your neighbor. That's good news. You know how to share good news. You see gas cheaper down the corner. You call your mom and say, hey, get gas at the Wawa at the corner, not at this other place, because gas is cheaper down here. That's good news. You know how to share good news. We know how to do this. We do this all the time. We watch a TV show that we really enjoy. We share with our friend at work. We say, hey, did you see such and such last night? You talk about it. We have news even greater than that. Your sins are forgiven. Say to your friend, hey, did you hear about salvation in Christ? You might not have to start it like that, but... You know how to share good news. You know how to do this. Do you feel an obligation to share? You felt that way with worldly things. How much more with the words of eternal life? In verse 15, Paul again expresses his excitement by saying he's eager to preach the gospel to those in Rome. He says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. So in this way, he's eager to preach He knows these words will encourage. Paul knows his message is just not telling them where to get a good deal on a tunic. He knows this is the greatest news of all. This is the words of eternal life. He's in debt. Why does Paul feel this debt and this eagerness to preach the gospel to all? Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. When Paul and others were preaching the message of a man dying for sinners and then rising from the dead, it was widely accepted. No. It was seen as foolish. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than than men. Brothers and sisters, not much has changed since Paul's time. We preach the same message and we're still seen as fools. You may be embarrassed to tell somebody that you believe Jesus lived, died, rose from the dead, and he did this to forgive your sins. But we have nothing to be embarrassed or ashamed of. What we believe is true. This happened. The world rejects the truth because they love their sin. 
But it's true. Jesus lived, died, and rose for you. And you know this. You believe this. You claim you believe this. Are you ashamed? Are you ashamed of this? Why does Paul say he's not ashamed? He writes, The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Again, here Paul is writing to a church that has both Jews and non-Jews. He reminds them later in this letter that the oracles and promises of God belong to the Jews. God works through the Jewish nation. And now here the gospel is for the Jew first, but not only for the Jew, but for all who believe. The gospel is the power of God. The Jews had to be told God wasn't just saving them. And the Gentiles had to be reminded God still loves the Jews. But all must put their faith in Jesus Christ by the power of God. At one point in my life, maybe in your life, I didn't believe. I was a lost sinner, lost in my sin. And I, in fact, many times when people would share this message with me, rejected it. But I was brought to realize that I was a sinner in need of change. And I couldn't change myself. I sinned against the holy God. I heard of the bad news of what my sin earned. Our sin earns us hell. Then I heard the gospel. I heard of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for me, for my sin. And I believed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I was given new life. You have believed. Have you believed? If you have believed, then you are saved from sin, from hell, from the wrath of God. It is God's power that saved you. You couldn't save yourself. God saved you by his grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Believer, be encouraged. Life is hard. You have problems. You have issues. Life is hard. Jesus says you will have tribulation. You have illness, pain, addiction, suffering. But you also have this. You have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You have inherited a kingdom that can never be shaken, that will never perish. The power of God will not be weakened, will not be destroyed. Verse 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In this verse, Paul is quoting the minor prophet Habakkuk. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, has this very same wording. Paul explains in this passage that Habakkuk was pointing to this fulfillment of faith in Christ. In the Habakkuk passage, he writes of the arrogant, puffed-up, conceited man. He's not puffed up with faith in God, but his own works. Habakkuk contrasts the arrogant man with those who live by faith. Righteousness is counted to him by faith. This is exactly the argument Paul is making here. As he, and even as he expounds the rest of Romans. And this verse is also the verse that opened the eyes of a certain German monk who I mentioned before, Martin Luther. He saw that God sees believers as righteous by faith and not by their works. And the Greek word here, righteous, in this verse, means to regard as righteous, to count as righteous, to declare as righteous. Luther said of this, you mean here Paul is not talking about a righteousness by which God himself is righteous, but a righteousness that God gives freely by his grace to people who don't have a righteousness of their own? 
Luther realized that this righteousness is not our own that saves. And then Luther concluded, When I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Ghost, and the doors of paradise swung open, and I walked through. Brothers and sisters, you have done nothing to save yourself. Salvation is completely of the Lord. God has declared you righteous through faith, through trusting in the only righteous one, the one who was sent to live, die, and rise for sinners. His name is Jesus because he will and he has saved his people from their sins. Nothing in my hands I bring, as we sang before. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I too, the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. He has washed you, and you have eternal life. Not only are you saved, it's important to know you are declared righteous. You are seen as righteous. Not as if you've never sinned, but as if you've only obeyed. You only have righteousness in your account. Credited to your account by the righteousness of Christ. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus took your place on, your, on the cross to die for sinners. And you have been forgiven. He lived a sinless life. And now you are seen as if you lived a sinless life. This is the power of God for salvation. What is there to be ashamed of? We have nothing to be ashamed of. Do you believe this? Do you share this? Do you encourage other Christians with this? If someone asks you if you believe this, would you say yes? Would you say kind of? Would you say no? You could say yes. This is true. I believe this. There's a story of a family, many stories of families who aren't ashamed of the gospel. But this specific one I think of is the story behind the old hymn, I Have Decided. Maybe you've heard this old hymn before. But the story goes, in a small village in India, there was a family who came to faith in Christ. This upset, upset the villagers, and this family was taken to the village square before the chief. And the chief said to them, Recant of your faith in this Jesus, or you will die. The man thought of a song he had composed when he first came to faith and sang the words, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. So they killed the man's children. Given another chance to recant, the chief threatened to kill his wife. And he began to sing, Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. And his wife was killed. After that, he was given one more chance to save his own life. But he continued to sing the cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. And that man lost his life as well. But the story doesn't end there. Because that man and his family was willing to die, not ashamed of the gospel, that chief started to think, why would this man do this? And he began to think until one day he decided to follow Jesus. And when he decided, he brought all the villagers together and he told them what this man and this family believed is true. I believe this as well. I've decided. And that whole village came to faith 
in Christ. This family was not ashamed of the gospel. They gave their lives knowing it's true. And because of their faith and their unashamedness, this village came to faith in Christ. The powerful gospel witness was determined to be used by God to bring many more of his children to faith in Christ. You may not be called to die for your faith, but you are called to live for your faith. We are called to share the gospel of Christ. Again, the gospel is the power of God. It is by the gospel that God saves lost rebel sinners. It is not by the power of the one sharing. It is not your power that's going to save. I've had sales jobs before. Maybe you've had sales jobs before where you had to sell, you had to give a whole spiel. The gospel is great because I don't have to sell it. I just have to tell it. You don't have to sell it. You just have to tell people this message of salvation. And then share it with your brothers and sisters in Christ who already believe this, to encourage them. This is why Paul writes these things to the church. Be encouraged. Don't be ashamed. Jesus has the words of eternal life. He has given them to us to deliver. God has the power to save. We need not be ashamed. He is worthy not only to die for, but to live for. Always remember this. You have sinned against the holy God, but that holy God has forgiven you in Christ by his power. You are forgiven, you are adopted into the family of God by grace through faith in Christ. In his life, death, and resurrection, there's no turning back. What's there to turn back to? We have heaven forever. This good news is for you, Christian. You have been saved, you are being saved, you will be saved. This good news is for you, unbeliever. Turn to Christ and live. If you are here today and for some reason you haven't done so yet, don't leave until you have. Don't leave until you have. You can have salvation. You can have God forever. This world is full of trouble, but Christ has overcome the world. This is good news. There's nothing to be ashamed of here. This is the shameless power of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You have given us salvation. Jesus has accomplished salvation for his people. Lord, those who haven't believed yet, turn their hearts to you, Lord. We know you can. You've turned our hearts to you. Encourage us as we go on in our lives that we are forgiven, that you love us. The God of the universe who we sin against, you love us and sent your son to die for us. And he is risen. He's risen indeed. And he's coming again, not to judge us because we are seen as righteous. May that bring us through our lives, being encouraged in Christ by the power of the gospel of salvation. Your power, Lord, not ours. And may we share this news. May we not be ashamed. May we not be shy and timid. Open doors. Push us through them to share the gospel of Christ so that your kingdom may come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray all this in the saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen.